Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Campaign 2024 has begun. We are now on the clock, everybody. We are on the clock. Iowa is in the review mirror. Super Tuesday is coming up in early March, guys. The time has come. Let's get involved. Get involved in your communities, in your towns. Go to jointheunion.us, find any number of the hundred plus partner organizations we have and get involved in your community and make sure that we get every last pro-democracy voter to the polls in November that we can. I want to say thank you and on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm excited to welcome back to the show Ruth Ben-Ghiak, author and professor of history and Italian at New York University. Ruth is an expert on fascism, authoritarianism, war, propaganda, and unfortunately, Donald Trump, and is the recipient of the Guggenheim, Fulbright, and other fellowships. She's a columnist for MSNBC, has written for a wide variety of outlets, including CNN, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post, and has authored multiple books, her latest being Strongman from Mussolini to the Present. And everybody, if you have not read Strongman, get it today. She is the founder and publisher of Lucid, her Substack newsletter. Today, she's coming to us from New York City. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to speak with you. All right. So, Ruth, when we have you on, there's like 800 different things we could talk about. So let's start with what we were talking about just before we went on the air, which is as of this recording, we're recording on Monday. You know, late last week, E. Jean Carroll, a writer who Donald Trump was adjudicated to have sexually assaulted, was awarded $83 million in her defamation case against Trump. He immediately becomes the victim of this. He has been the victim all along of this. Elise Stefanik said she wasn't at all worried about it. Other female Republicans have said they thought it was a hoax. As you noted right before we started recording that match slap with, you know, full transparency, a guy I have known since the 2000 Bush campaign, if you can believe such a thing, said, you know, first it'll be Trump and then they're, you know, we'll all have to walk the gangplank. I think Ruth is what he said. So take us into the psychology of this. Is it just more victimization or is it victimization mixed with the ability to abuse whoever you want, whenever you want, with no repercussions? That's the dream is to be able to commit all kinds of crimes with impunity, including uh, sexual crimes. And there's a whole through line. It was, this was one of the worst parts for me to write as a woman. In Strongman, uh, my machismo chapter, you know, Mussolini was a serial rapist, as was Gaddafi, who also kept people prisoner. And it's as though when we get to authoritarians, at its worst, it can be like Jeffrey Epstein becoming the head of state. And they use the instruments of the state, like secret police, to scout women, to, you know, sometimes to kidnap them, and then to pay them off or survey them, uh, pay for abortions, all of that. So, and in the case of 21st century, 
people like Donald Trump and Silvio Berlusconi. These men have this mania of controlling as many women and having as many women as possible. So it's very interesting. So they go into business in areas that allow them to have what I call a pipeline of bodies. So you have access. uh, So what did Trump do? He had Trump models. He had Miss Universe. And also he was on TV. Berlusconi actually owned all the private TV networks in Italy. So he had a pipeline of people who wanted to be on TV. And then he had sex parties that that he boasted about. And ultimately, in Berlusconi's case, having an underage woman at one of those sex parties was one of the things that did him in, meaning he had to resign and he was convicted in 2013. So this arrogance that you described, the feeling that they should be able to do whatever they want to female bodies is part of the mentality And I was uh, very interested in a negative way that Donald Trump partly decriminalized domestic violence while he was president. This kind of ran under the radar with all the other things he did, but he changed the laws so that economic and stalking and any other kind of harassment did not count as domestic violence anymore. So he made it easier for women to be controlled. So a couple of things. One is remember, gosh, is it almost three years ago now? Two and a half years ago, Ruth, when the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago for the missing, you know, top secret and beyond documents. And remember the whole thing was, if they can do it to him, they can do it to you, which I think still continues today and is echoed in what Schlapp said as well. And it's the idea of, yes, if you steal top secret documents from the government, yes, the FBI very well will come to visit you. If you sexually assault women or men in the case of allegedly matched lap, then yes, either a civil or a criminal proceeding will probably be following you around. And this is why I sort of don't understand why the things they're saying are like, yeah, if you do those things, you're going to be in trouble. And this is somehow their argument, Ruth. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, it makes sense to them because what they fear is being brought to justice. And these are people who have had power have been able to arrange systems, whether they're paying off people, whatever they're doing, to escape prosecution. And they feel that this is their right. And it's hard for law-abiding people to get into the heads of people like Donald Trump and Matt Schlapp and all those other abusers. And part of what authoritarians do is they send a message by appointing other abusers to high positions of power. And so Donald Trump's cabinet, you know, contained a high number of Steve Bannon and others who had either been accused of or charged with domestic violence or who were known to be bullies because this is part of corruption too. You want to set an environment in your White House, in your administration that's conducive to bullying people, to harassing them in all kinds of ways and ultimately to also committing crimes. And so the more people you have who are corrupt and abusive and arrogant in your government, the faster you will have this contagion of, you know, the end of professional ethics and all of that. So this actually connects to wider things about the destruction of the rule of law, the end of professional ethics, and all the things that authoritarians see as kind of the enemy. Well, and going back through, you know, your book, Strongmen, and also through history, is these sorts of movements and these types of people find one another. 
because correct me if I'm wrong, so many otherwise normal administrations, let's say the Biden administration are really they're a rogues gallery over the course of the, the country. But only Donald Trump's administration would allow people like this to rise to any sort of levels of power. Right. Like otherwise, these people would be like, no, you're not you're not even allowed in as a guest, let alone to the National Security Council. Yes. And, you know, any administration can have bad eggs and then you have compliance systems. You have mechanisms of all federal agencies to get rid of people who, you know, violate your ethical codes. But what authoritarians do is that they destroy those mechanisms or they offer pardons. So Donald Trump is one of many authoritarians to offer pardons to people who have broken the law. And that sends a message to future members of his next administration, if he gets there, that any kind of corruption will be not just tolerated, but rewarded. Because basically, authoritarianism is the criminalization of government. It depends on lying, on corruption, on repression, on crime. And some of the states that Donald Trump is now praising the leaders, you know, Kim Jong-un and Putin, these are criminal entities. Like Russia is a kleptocracy. North Korea, most of its foreign currency is earned by cybercrime. It's a criminal entity. And so you have to have lawless people in the government and in place, and you have to set a whole atmosphere of rewarding crime. And this was one of the most depressing things I learned through my survey of 100 years of how this has unfolded in different times and places, because it's kind of the same mechanism everywhere. You know, the Nazis actually used to recruit people in prisons because they needed criminals to be, you know, in their labor service or all of their different bureaucracies. And ultimately, of course, as torturers and all kinds of unsavory things, criminals were the best suited. So they recruited in prisons, which kind of says it all. You brought up something I want to I was thinking about over the weekend. So my wife and I watched The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti, and he's this sort of grumpy old professor to New England boys boarding school in I think the late sixties, early seventies. And he takes one of the students because they've been held over for Christmas break. The guy can't go home. And they're at a museum in Boston and Giamatti's character is an antiquities professor, right? A history professor. Loves the classics. And he says, Mr. Tully, there's nothing new in human existence. There's nothing in this realm, in that realm, in this realm, in that realm. And it reminded me, Ruth, that there really isn't. So why is it always such a surprise when it pops up again? Good question. And indeed, there are these patterns and cycles. And one thing is that it looks different every time and place. And so people are not prepared. And you know, today we have fewer one-party states outside of communism. So fascism looks a bit different today in terms of, you know, we're not going to have a one-party state as easily. Other things, though, are exactly the same. The personality cult rules are the same. Corruption mechanisms are the same, as you're saying. But people also are always in denial. They think that it's not going to happen to them or to their country. And so in Germany, it's worth remembering, it was one of the most advanced countries in the world before Nazism in science, technology, engineering, graphic design, like groundbreaking cultural Art, things. Art, culture, music. Everything. So right. they saw this like, you know, lunatic ranting and they didn't take him seriously. 
And Mussolini was dismissed even after he was dictator as a buffoon who was going to go away. And even when there's a coup, this is like, in a way, the most shocking example that I studied. So in Chile, there was a coup. And so you, you know, you leave home and you're in a democracy and you come back if you come back at all and you're in a dictatorship. But the conservative Christian Democrats, who are the conservative enablers in this case, they supported the coup at first because they didn't like the left. And they actually thought, the leadership actually thought that Pinochet was going to restore order in Chile and then give power back to them, which, of course, wasn't going to happen. So the oligarchs thought, we'll be in charge. We can control him, just like they did with Hitler, right? Hindenburg was like, he's a buffoon. We can control him. Von Papen. We can control him, right? He'll sit in the corner. He'll be told what to do. And then voila, again, Ruth, nothing new in human history. It never works out that way. Yeah. And so you have deep mechanisms of, and the, the reason there's so much continuity is we're dealing with the realm of human psychology, of denial, of despair. Also, you know, denial because you overestimate your own culture's ability to withstand something because maybe you overestimate human nature. You think, well, people can't be that corrupt. But also some people are in denial because if they admit there's a huge problem, which would have been nice if people did that after Trump's I could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone speech, you know, many years ago now, it means maybe they have to do something about it. And Many people don't want to get involved or they don't know how and they want everything to continue. And so they stick their heads in the sand. And they become bystanders instead of upstanders. That's right. And it's particularly a problem in our country versus, for example, a place like Brazil, where you had January 8th, you know, instead of January 6th. And the government acted very quickly to prosecute those who were try, you know, having the insurrection on behalf of Bolsonaro, because they had a coup and they had an over 20-year military dictatorship. So in countries that had a dictatorship, they have learned how quickly things can change. Whereas America, we had a form of authoritarianism in the Jim Crow South, but we did not have a national experience of dictatorship. So people have the idea it can't happen here. Well, and then you've seen recently, just in the past days and weeks, in Germany, mass protests against the AFD, the far right party. And if, in fact, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ruth, there were some local elections where the AFD got blown out. That's right. And they had been doing quite well. And the Germans know exactly how dangerous this is and are very smart in having these mass demonstrations now because timing is important with nonviolent protest. And there were millions of people who came out and the reason it's important is that there are many people who are sitting home thinking, as we were saying, it's either not a big deal, it's not that serious, the liberal press is overreacting, or they don't want to get involved, or they're afraid. But when so many people come out to protest, it leads other people to come out. And the more the numbers are seen in the media is forced to have a narrative about this happening, and this is the national mood the fewer people will vote for the far right because they think that you know, there's nothing going to stop them. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, 
all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. So let me ask about that, because as we're talking now, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is basically committing what I'd call, Ruth, 21st century nullification. He is not allowing border patrol agents near the border. He has stacked it with razor wire and Texas guardsmen. And and now we probably have these constitutional sheriffs, right? And remember that in most places, sheriffs are answerable only to two people, God and the voters. That's it, right? They don't answer to anybody else. And now you have all other Republican governors saying they support this. You have Ken Paxton, the attorney general, who is a crook of crooks, right? And only got off because, again, the whole thing was corrupt, saying this stuff and basically taunting the federal government and the president of the United States to come with force. So there's this authoritarian instinct. There's this strongman instinct. But I wonder, too, I mean, Ruth, does Abbott know what he's doing, putting hundreds, if not thousands of very heavily armed men in proximity to one another in a tinderbox situation? Does he know what could happen? Absolutely. Because I feel like a lot of times this stuff is sort of like they watch it on Yellowstone and they're like, that's cool. And the next thing you know, you have, you know, somebody pops off around just to do something. And it's, you know, Lexington and Concord, but in Eagle Pass. He not only knows what he's doing, this has been set up in terms of the culture of the party for a long time. And when I saw this, I just... With my particular niche, as you know, that I study foreign things, and then I turn my eyes on my own country where I was born and raised, and I can't believe certain things. So one of them is in 2022, the Texas GOP passed a resolution, so this is official, that said Biden was an illegitimate president and called him a, quote, acting president. I could not believe this. It's like, not only does it It alludes to him not being around very long. He's just acting. He could be gone at any time. But it undermines his authority. And so based on this, the Texas GOP is not accepting or recognizing Biden's authority as president and therefore also as commander in chief. When you have a resolution of this type and it sets up an insurrectionist mentality, this is a continuation of January 6th in some ways. And you also have constitutional sheriffs, you have, which like no other country in the world would tolerate these people who don't accept the authority. It's just insane. It's a bad idea. Also, you have anti-government extremists, and Trump did his bit to create circumstance that would lead to something like this when he kicked off his campaign at Waco, Texas. So that, too, was very conscious. Very close from the 30th anniversary of the Branch Davidians. Right. Who believed that their leader was, you know, God. The second coming of Jesus. Yes. So now what do we have? We have an army of God, these like rabid zealots, Christian nationalists. And let's be clear, that's what they're calling themselves, the army of God. Yes, they're calling themselves the army of God. So it's become a node, a hub for extreme Christian nationalists anti-government extremists, militias, probably constitutional sheriffs, and a rogue, anti-democratic, insurrectionist GOP all converge 
on this area. And what they would like is to provoke a kind of Waco writ large. So they want to provoke some kind of conflict because they want the Biden administration to go down in flames. They want to distract from the amazing economic statistics. They want to distract and make things as chaotic and anarchic as possible so they can say, we need a strong man to restore order because Biden is weak. But at the same time, they want to provoke an armed conflict. They want chaos. They want destruction. They want flames. They want dead Texas guardsmen at the hands of federal officers. Yes. And so in that sense, it's the continuation of January 6th where the federal government and the Capitol Police, the people who represent law and order, become targets and have to run for their lives. So it's very, very dangerous. And I, I agree with the many people on social media who are asking why this is not front page news. And, you know, this is the other part, too, to bring those nodes together. And I think it's really important in your latest post on Lucid. You also talked about the bringing together of the political and the religious. And so now you have Speaker Mike Johnson, who was a backbencher of all backbenchers. He's now a right wing Christian zealot in the speaker's chair who said out loud. And Ruth, this is the other part. We should always forget these people tell you what they're going to do and why they're doing it. It's like Joe Biden is giving us what we want and we're not going to give it to him because we don't want to help him. So while Abbott is doing this, while he is stacking the sticks of TNT and running around with a lit match, the problem to be solved is awaiting a solution in Washington, D.C. And now Trump is saying, don't do it. I want to make immigration my thing. And even Mitch McConnell saying, well, we can't undercut him now. So you have all of these things mixing together. And to your point, again, nothing new in human history. But to your point about the press, like why the hell is it every major news organization on the border going, I'm going to give you the straight dope about what's going on. But I'll tell you, these people are nuts. Well, and even if we don't want to say they're nuts, if you look at this with the eyes of other countries, this is like sectarian violence tending towards civil war, meaning the people, not that we're in a condition to have a civil war, but they're insurrectionists at a state level. Greg Abbott should be in prison. He has no business being anywhere close to office, given what he is doing now. Or at the very least, it's his insubordination. But this is why it's very important to remember that the Texas GOP, of which he is the titular head as governor, does not recognize Biden's authority. And it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the enormity of this. When you don't recognize the president anymore, then you're free to do whatever you want. And you're telling your supporters, we live, you live in an occupied country, ergo, anything goes. Yes, that he's illegitimate. So this is why people are amazed that Trump's lawyers are so insubordinate in courts or GOP like Marjorie Taylor Greene and all these people are so rude and unprofessional in Congress. Everything they're doing is to communicate their utter scorn and opposition to democratic institutions, including Congress, because it's not run by authoritarian Trump. It's run by a Democrat. Indeed, what was January 6th? It was an assault. Yes, it was an assault on the physical space of the Capitol, but I wish we would say every day it was an assault on members of Congress and their staffs. And some of those members of Congress, like an Elise Stefanik, is hiding 
in the pews or I guess in the rows, you know, above the floor as this is happening, then goes out and puts out a statement saying, you know, everybody that did this should be held to account now erases that and now says these people are hostages. That's one of the saddest things that people who ran for their lives had to call their spouses to say they might be dying. We know all this, all the panicked calls that were made are now backing the person who set the mob upon them. It's a kind of masochism, a collective masochism. And when do you see this psychological dynamic? You don't see it in democracies because Democrats don't sick an angry mob onto Congress. You see it in authoritarian states, like also uh, Tim Scott, that very painful interaction. But this is like, I was watching that and I was like, yeah, okay, I have stuff in my book about, you know, People who in Mobutu's Congo, a guy was like, he was, you know, uh, he was a a government official and he fell afoul of Mobutu. He gets put into prison and then he comes out and he praises Mobutu all over again. Then he's put back in, he's tortured, he comes out. I mean, this is the total self-abasement and, you know. Yeah, it's uh, darkness at noon, right? Yeah. So Tim Scott, he says, I love you when Trump has just insulted him on live TV. It's all very sad. And you wonder how the families and loved ones of all of these Congress people uh, who were, they were like terrified. What can they, are they all, they've all made a pact to just forget about it. So the price for electing Trump is that the Pence's and the Stefanik's, all of them, especially Pence, who was targeted for death, And then raised his hand that he would support Trump during the first debate, even if he becomes a convicted criminal. This is just the abyss. And the only way to understand these actions and all this stuff is authoritarian dynamics, truly. So that's why I always say that GOP is no longer a party in democracy. It's an authoritarian party with a cult leader. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com let me ask Rick and I were talking this morning and we were talking about a lot of these kinds of things. And he was he said he was having a conversation with an old friend who he hadn't spoken to and that not surprisingly, all the people who'd gotten behind DeSantis were now scurrying to figure out how to get back in Trump's good graces. And I asked this question, Ruth, which is. What toll do the mental and moral gymnastics of this kind of stuff take on people? Because as Rick said, and I thought it was brilliantly put in a way only Rick could, at least when we wake up in the morning, we actually believe in what we're doing every day. These people don't. Not only are they living a lie, the big lie and all the other lies and having to say that 
this is what my lucid post was about, corruption and holiness, having to say that truly you could not find somebody more criminal in more ways than Donald Trump. And yet they have to say he's there by the will of God, he's a holy man, and all the alliances with the you know Christian nationalists. So not only are they living multiple lies, but as we said before, they're supporting someone who put them in mortal danger and made it very clear that he doesn't give a crap about them. And that's how all authoritarian leaders are. They will happily send their people to war with terrible weapons like Putin is doing and old, you know, bad rations. They have a use and discard philosophy about people. And they make that very clear. That's part of the ritual humiliation. They make it clear as happened to Tim Scott. Yes. Ritual humiliation. That's exactly the right. That's the right word. That's what it is. Yeah. Saddam Hussein did it. They all do it because they can. Now, our situation in a sense, in a funny sense, is more tragic for what you asked me about the moral internal calculus, because we're not in a dictatorship. This is some old fart who has not even been in office for years. And they treat him as though he's an all-powerful dictator now. That's the incredible part. They're also scared of him. And we know this from, you know, if you know any political insiders, they're crying secretly. They're saying they don't want him to really be elected privately. And these are people, the most powerful people in the nation, access to security. Many of them are wealthy. And they still can't come out and say their truth. So when Rick says, yeah, at least when we wake up, we're living our truth. And I can say the same. This is a terrible moral, psychological, emotional tragedy that we are living through. So let me ask you something. Looking forward to a darker future. Let's, for argument's sake, say that Donald Trump is reelected in November, which is a possibility. How long does it take America to climb out? Is it five years? Is it 20 years? Is it ever? It's really hard to say because it depends what happens. I mean, one of my mantras is never underestimate the American people. And if you still have elections, we saw this in Poland recently, there can be U-turns where if Trump engages in what he's promising to do, and widespread deportation goes after millions of people, of all sorts, takes away gay rights, there will be a reaction that could manifest in an election. So it could have a quick turnaround. It all depends what happens, because when Trump's now started talking about uh, that there's going to be a terrorist attack, what I hear is, okay, you know, I have a thing in Strongman about shock events, whether they, the autocrat, anything to do with these shock events like a terrorist attack, a rice shock fire, they exploit them to take away your rights. So we don't know what will happen and what the juridical landscape and space for a maneuver will be. When countries have gone into old-fashioned dictatorship and become one-party states that can take a year or two, then it's very difficult to get out of it. Let me ask you this historically, it doesn't always, I mean, in some places you noted in Africa with Gaddafi or Russia or China or wherever, it can be decades, right? In other places, it's like in Germany, 1933 to 1945, it's 12 years that take 75 years to get over. Yes. 
And the only reason those dictatorships ended was that they flamed out and lost the war. Now, you could say that's inevitable that they went into these wars because classic fascism is imperialist. They have to expand. But whatever length it is, it causes mass trauma. It succeeds in the first place because it's already caused division and hatred among people who used to live fairly peacefully. And that, of course, gets far worse. It's turned people against each other, created informers, you know, all the mechanisms that authoritarians use. And then just think about even now, he's not back in office and we have tens of millions of brainwashed Americans who believe his lies. And I do want to say that for those who think that Trump is lazy, he has worked so hard as a propagandist that he has actually pulled off something that I don't have any parallel case I've ever heard of. Working in a, in a democracy, totally open society still, pluralistic media, so he's not in a dictatorship, he succeeded in convincing tens of millions of people of a huge lie, something very easily verifiable, like who won the 2020 election. And yet he pulled this off, and they still believe it years later, when he hasn't even been in office. Nobody has done that. And I wonder, and because I've talked to some of these people who are even my friends who said, okay, well, it wasn't stolen, but boy, there sure were a lot of irregularities and something wasn't right, right? So you take the people who absolutely believe it was stolen from Trump, and then you add, what, 25, 50% of people, maybe 100, you know, double it, Ruth, who think, well, okay, maybe it wasn't stolen, but, you know, something fishy and I'm not, you know, I don't really trust anything anymore. That's the other aim of authoritarians, to make sure you don't trust. And that's why I said before that everything they do is to take away our trust and faith in democratic institutions, whether it's the courts, whether it's Congress or elections. And, you know, Trump has been hammering for years now. Again, he works very hard as a propagandist to hammer the message that our elections are not safe, they're not reliable. And then you get people who come out and say the real thing, the real end game. Uh, Tommy Tuberville said, you know, we just shouldn't have elections because they're just too compromised. There's too many things wrong with our electoral system. So then we return to, okay, if we're not having elections, then we're in a dictatorship. And so Trump is talking about being a dictator. Tommy Tuberville, not exactly the Thomas Paine of our time. Okay, Ruth, as always, fascinating, enlightening, sometimes scary to have you. Where can everybody find you on social media if you still dare to tread there? And where can we find your Substack? So my Substack is called Lucid, as in like clear thinking, not being brainwashed by autocrats. And it's a Substack newsletter. So lucid.substack.com. And I have weekly Q&As as well as publishing essays. I'm on threads and still on X battling it out with the fascists there at, at Ruth ben -Giat. And I have a website, ruthbengiat.com, where I post my clips and you can know about my events and everything else. Absolutely. I have signed up for Lucid, guys. I cannot recommend it more highly. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP and also on Substack at The Homefront. I hope you'll check it out. Ruth Bengiat, thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure. 
Everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.